0: This is Jennifer Pepito with the Restoration Home Podcast. This is where we talk about the peaceful path to connected families and restored communities. And today, Emily and I are talking about praying in community, both in our family community and in our church community. Thanks for joining me today, Emily.
1: Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure to be here.
0: I love our conversations. I I love talking to you all the time. Like we, I just got home from the Airbnb where we're staying last night. And I I just feel like every time I'm with you, I have such stimulating conversations. I learn things, I'm encouraged, I'm engaged. And I just love that we get to have these conversations for the public. Thank you, Emily.
1: Yeah, I really enjoy them too.
0: So I thought first we could start by just talking a little bit about our own family journey with prayer. You know, we um, over the course of our family life we've been in many different churches. People ask sometimes what my statement of faith or what my denomination is and you know throughout our lives we've been in Calvary Chapel, we've been in Reformed Presbyterian, we've been in Baptist, we've been in non-denominational. So we have had a you know wide variety of church experiences in a way. We've been in home churches and so You know, I thought one of the things that we did sort of decide for ourselves early on, though, was that we weren't going to have we weren't going to give up the responsibility of the spiritual direction of our children to someone else. Not that there couldn't be other people who helped out by it, but that we would be, you know, we would be the primary directors in a way of our children's spiritual direction journey or you know the that we wouldn't give that over or not try at all because i think a lot of families they don't necessarily see themselves as responsible for their children's spiritual direction
1: definitely or they maybe don't have any concept of what it's like to have a faith in community because having raising a family there's there's a discipleship element but there's also a communal faith aspect of it and a lot of people either weren't raised in a church or weren't raised with a good christian community that modeled um like the laying on of hands and praying or praying together or um gathering together or just even discipleship like they either never experienced discipleship or they've never had an opportunity to be discipled and so there's this huge gap um of knowledge and experience when it comes to then cultivating a sort of monastic like spiritual community in your home of discipling your children.
0: Yeah, for sure. And, you know, we definitely had some falters in the beginning. I I know we haven't gotten to talk about this yet too much together, but I read the book by Ginger Vuolo, uh Becoming Free Indeed, about her journey being in the Bill Gothard organization and how, you know, her her family's way of being where there was so much emphasis on being perfect, or you could lose your salvation was some of our early understanding of salvation that, you know, I, I read the verse that said, be ye perfect as I am perfect. And I thought it meant that we had to be perfect and not, not that it meant that we are perfect because he is perfect. And so I didn't really understand the gospel. And and there was a lot of emphasis on, behavior on character training and a lot of the books that I read early on to you guys in terms of um you know teaching and and teaching character and that kind of thing were more about character than about the gospel and there's some good and bad about that what do you think
1: I think raising children strictly is getting a lot of flack right now and I think that Um, I think that it is really important. I think the problem isn't with raising children to have self-control and to be good and to be respectful and to be able to have some self-control when they're, you know, when life happens and they can't get exactly what they want or even sometimes exactly what they need when they want it. I think, and this is something we could probably break down in so many ways, but I think the fundamental issue in a lot of ways, there is that the parents haven't experienced the goodness or the faithfulness of a loving God who has covered all of their sins. And so they're not teaching their children to be good. It's beautiful to be walking in righteousness and to have clean hands before God. And God will not love me more or less, but I am, when I give my child self control through training and when I give them the ability to live in community and to communicate and to have some self-control and to um, give to one another and to be able to lay down some of what they want, which is a lot of the fundamentals of some of these more conservative homeschool movements slash parenting movements in the early days. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think what happens is a lot of these parents were like, oh, this is my salvation or this is my child's salvation. And so there was no, there was no belief of grace
0: for the parents or the child. Right. That's so good. And I think one of the ways that it impacted you children and even my husband and I is that then it was just easy to be super hyper-focused on our mistakes and, and almost overthink things, you know, be overly aware of every mistake we made instead of just living in the light of the gospel that we are saved by grace and not of works lest anyone should boast, But there does sometimes feel like there's an opposite struggle when, you know, when you understand the gospel that, you know, someone said that, you know, you maybe there's no fear of God when you understand that you are saved by grace. What do you think about that?
1: I think that if you truly understand what Christ has forgiven you of and when you understand the holiness and the righteousness of the God who saved you by grace um, a, you can't help but being in awe and in love, and B, you you don't want to defame that grace, you don't want to um, spit on it, and that doesn't mean that you won't, but it does mean that you hopefully are on a path of like, yes, in this way, like I'm constantly kind of complaining about my partner or losing my losing my um, cool with my kids, or there's something that I'm consistently struggling with. It's you know, having the maturity to be like, okay, there is so much grace in this, but because there's so much grace, and because this God, who is so incredible, has poured out His love on me through the through the death and resurrection of His Son and the complete obliteration of my sins, I am so excited to work on um, overcoming this this fear or this control or this um, you know anxiety that's causing these behaviors that are less than ideal. Um, but I, I don't think that a true understanding of grace is going to lead to a disregard of righteousness.
0: Right, right. I I agree wholeheartedly. You know, if we know how much God loves us and we're enjoying his love and his goodness, it's not going to lead us to, you know, trample on the grace of God, basically. Yeah, Yeah. So, so I love also that you talked about how some of these structures, it's the attitude behind them. So the structures themselves, like the fact that we had morning time or that I lined you all up to sing hymns or that we memorized scripture or read character stories, those weren't a problem in themselves. It was my fear behind it. That was the problem.
1: 100%. And, and it wasn't even like we were definitely raised where if you had a temper tantrum, it was, um, it was unacceptable there were there were consequences for throwing a temper tantrum and i don't think that that was ever a problem i think the embarrassment that may have been felt by the temper tantrum that then maybe motivated the response that was more the problem and i think that like i think that in some ways righteousness has taken a real social hit like like it is it is righteous to be able to pull yourself together and be like, you know, I'm, I'm going to go in there, and I don't need to tell everybody that I'm having a really crappy day, and I don't need to throw temper tantrum. And even as adults, we're like giving ourselves more and more leeway to say whatever's on our mind, or to gossip, or to be like, yeah, I'm just afraid, or oh, I'm just struggling with this. And it's like, like we are, we're giving ourselves permission to live in sin almost. And I, and I don't think that raising your children to have good boundaries is in any way in the long run, going to be detrimental. It's just if that that's the only way. And if you're doing that to not feel embarrassed by their behavior, or you're doing that because you're like, oh, if I don't do that, and if I don't train them in that way, then they won't be liked and they won't go to heaven. Like that's where the problem is, is when their identity is based or, or your identity is based on the training.
0: Yeah, that's super good, Emily, because for sure, in the early years, a lot of my identity came from I am a good mom and I have good kids. You know, I, I I didn't have a strong identity as a person. I wasn't super confident. And so my own mothering prowess was like what where I got my, you know, a lot of confidence. And so then, yeah, if a child couldn't behave in public because I had a sensory issue or if a child did something that was embarrassing, there's, there's so much discomfort in that as mothers. Like if a child's having a temper tantrum in the target, I've seen moms do this where, their child actually climbs on the cart, falls off and gets hurt. And then in public, the mom's like, oh, you, I told you not to do that. Instead of just comforting the child because they're embarrassed. They want everybody around them to know that they did not condone that behavior and, yeah. and it's it's not their fault. But really, I mean, at that point, the child just needs comfort. So don't try to cover up for your your own mistakes or whatever by saying, you know, by chastising your child when they're hurt. But, you know, I think that that is... It's just so important to be able to get our identity fixed in Jesus. And sometimes that does require humiliation in other areas of our life. Like if I didn't realize that I could not be a perfect parent and hadn't encountered that failure, I wouldn't have been able to experience the grace of God and understand that it's him alone and not my own works. And and that's not necessarily something, unfortunately, that you can give to a new mom because new moms just often feel like they will do everything perfect. They will not make any mistakes. And so to try to convince them that, you know, don't get your identity in your kids because they might make mistakes someday and and then you'll be embarrassed and then your identity is going to be all shot and you're going to have to have this big experience with God to get straight again. Uh, You know, sometimes parenting is humiliating and that humiliation drives us to Jesus. And that's a, a really happy side benefit of it.
1: 100%. I mean, the Bible says whom the Lord loves, he chastens and i think that we've also in our desire to be all gentle and tender and empathetic and i i'm very very for being empathetic and tender but in our desire to do that we've also lost sight of um the long-term beauty of a good chastening <laughs> and the, or a or not and just the ability to be to to grow and to be constructively strengthened and, and the necessity to travail, and I think the other thing that's hugely important in prayer and in building this the spiritual life is community. Because if you're a young mom and you're doing life with other young moms and old moms, and um, you know the, the the maiden, the matron, and the matriarch is how it's often termed, and we need all three, we get to experience grace in real life because when we live in isolation we often are able to live in stories that aren't true and so we get to say oh like i my children are a handful and i don't really have anybody who understands and i'm all alone and when my children can behave i'll hang out with people and then on the other side people are like oh i um and this is, this is hypothetical, and there's lots of different situations that exist, but there's also people who are like, oh, I don't want to hang out with them because their kids are really hard to be around. And, or, um, and so you, you start to create these really isolated groups where you're having like birds of a feather flocking together, and so all the families with kind of dysfunctional kids hang out together and make excuses for why their kids are dysfunctional, and all the people with no kids are are like hang out together because they don't want to deal with other people's naughty kids. And then all the people with good kids hang out together because they don't want to deal with the no kids family or the dysfunctional kids families. So you have these like, you know, and that's an obvious simplification of it, but you have these really distinctive groups. Whereas I think part of community and, and we need this. Like some of my best childhood memories are times where we got together with other families and we had prayer times and we had prayer and worship. And this is from when I was really young and I loved those times. But as a community, we need to be able to go out and we need to be able to put our children out there and be like, I know that they misbehave, but I'm going to trust the people around me to lovingly, lovingly rebuke my child when it. You know, when football kicks their duck or like whatever it is or when I like if my child runs to their house with a stick, I'm going to trust them to love to have the grace and the love of Christ to not condemn me as a parent and also to be able to like speak. And I'm not going to be humiliated when they rebuke my child and be like, hey, we don't run in here. If you want to run, go outside and and like this this living in community this this ability to be humble to be uncomfortable and and sometimes that humbleness is an, an uncomfortableness is having somebody else speak into your life and be like hey you know you you're kind of letting your kids run all over you and i i don't want your kids running to my house so they need to put their shoes on and go outside and I can tell them or you can tell them and for some of us we're like oh my gosh like that level of confrontation and boundaries and standards like what if they don't want to hang out with me anymore and then on the other side the parents like, I can't believe you just spoke to me like that. I can't believe you just like, you know, told my kids to go outside or are trying to tell me I'm not being a good mom. And so there's this, there's this massive importance for community that is so real and so authentic that we're able to speak into each other's lives and our strengths and our weaknesses. Um, But that requires so much growth because you have to be willing, you have to be willing to be uncomfortable but I but I don't think like we are talking about how as a young mom you need to learn um, and understand that our children are going to make mistakes and our children need to learn grace and one of the best ways like like we quote Ronald Walheiser a lot but in the book the Holy Longing he has this whole chapter on how the church and and the Christian community, is the body of Christ. And so if we're struggling to understand the grace of God and, and we're like, oh, I don't really know what it is to understand a grace and a love that powerful, we need to start actively searching out community that has and, and putting ourselves in that place of, of receiving the grace and the love of people who are willing to be the hands and feet of Christ in our lives and then at the same time growing in our ability to be the hands and feet of Christ to somebody who is either in a different place in life or one step behind us.
0: Yeah, I really appreciate that. And I know, I just, I think it was in Tish Harrison Warren's book, Liturgy of the Ordinary, she talks about church and with, you know, sometimes with non-denominational Christians or even, even Christians who are Protestant and not Catholic, you can choose to go anywhere to church. And we tend to do exactly what you said, you know, go to the church that is exactly like us and then miss out on some growth that could happen if we just connected with the most local community we could find and did our best to go not to be fed, but to love others, to, to live in community, to, to, to be a family and family is messy, but if we just abandon family, if we just abandon church community, every time someone either calls us on something or, um, or their their families uncomfortable. I think that we miss out on a lot of growth. Whereas if we could stay in long term community with people through the ups and downs, there would be so much fruit in our lives. You know, and and I know it is hard because as moms, we want our children to be around people who are a good example. We don't want our kids to get around kids who are going to drag them down. And so there is that real concern. You know, am I going to church where the kids at the youth group are all getting into trouble. Am I going to, am I in a church community where there's um, all this messy humanity on display and it's going to drag us down? You know, I understand that maybe, maybe you have to pull your kids in and just do the sermon together and don't go to the youth group. But I think that trying to stay with one community with some longevity, I know that's, that goes back to that Benedictine rule of stability. I think that being in a community for some longevity is so fruitful in our lives in learning how to love well and learning how to press in. And I love also that you brought up some of our own on our own community prayer times, because we've definitely made it a part of our life to invite people into our home for prayer and worship, you know, whether it was the backyard or in our house. And I think some of our closest community actually have developed through doing these little informal prayer and worship times, you know, praying in community with others. The children are all together. It's not segregated by age or there's not a big program for the kids. It's just all of us sitting in a circle, singing to a guitar. Or I remember, you know, in the early, early days when all your kids were young, we would just sit there with another family and pray and sing to a CD of music. I think it was a CD. It might have been a cassette tape at that point, but you know, we would just sit and listen to music together and and sing along if we could, but just have this community prayer time, and it was so precious for our family. Do you remember some of those times?
1: Uh, one hundred percent. I love them. And sometimes we didn't even have live music at all. We just had um, shared uh, music books, and we would just sing out of those. I remember those, and that was that was really incredible. I think the kind of going back to what you were saying too about like how we opened our home I think if you are either like I I really appreciate the way that you and dad protected us growing up and there was always this this protection of our hearts and our minds and and a a curating of who we hung out with to give us godly influences and I I have a lot of respect for that and I think one of the best ways to start building community is opening your home. So if you haven't listened to our podcast on hospitality, we did a whole month on it and we talked about really what restorative hospitality looks like. And I think that is, I don't think that, you know, you can hit it enough how good it is to be able to open your doors to people in order to build community and build discipleship opportunities and build a prayer life.
0: Yeah. I'm so glad that you brought that up. This has been such an encouraging conversation. I know that families are going to be enlightened by some of our mistakes and our successes as a family, as we've developed a spiritual life and pursued God. I'm, I'm so thankful that all of my children do love God and they love us and are growing in their walk with him. It's such an honor to be in community with all of you.